All right, so we are going to uh, take a look at the book of Esther today. And it's Mother's Day. In years past, what I've done on Mother's Day is either preached a message at the fathers for us to step up our act, right? So on Mother's Day, the moms get praised and the dads get rebuked. And then on Father's Day, the dads get rebuked again. (laughs) And that's just the way it is. (laughs) But today, we're going to take a look at Queen Esther, which kind of uh, connects with last week. Last week, we did, we looked at that prayer in Nehemiah chapter 9, which gave an overview of the history of Israel. And this kind of picks up around that time. Okay? Israel has fallen into idolatry again and again and again. And uh, God then, to, uh, to punish them, allowed, first of all, for the Assyrian Empire to come in and destroy the northern tribes. And then he allowed the Babylonian Empire to come in and destroy Jerusalem and bring captives back into Babylonian captivity. Now, here's where Esther picks up. After Babylonian world dominance, the Persians came to power. And now, the Persians are in charge of the world. The first Persian king, Cyrus, allows uh, the Israelites, or many of them, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. But many Jews are scattered throughout the rest of the world. And the Persian king, uh, it's not Cyrus, but it's Asherius, I'm going to call him, Asherius. Um, He is the king, and the book of, of Esther starts with him basically saying, I would like to have a 180-day world fair where nobles and people can come from all over the world to see me and my glorious kingdom. Okay. Now, at the end of this 180-day world fair, he has for lack of a better term, an open bar for seven days. Everybody can drink as much as they want. And here's what happens on the last day of this open bar. It says, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded seven eunuchs to bring Queen Vashti, so this is his wife, Queen Vashti, before the king with her royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. Right? So, um, he's drunk, everybody else is drunk, and he says, let's bring my wife out for all my drunken, drooling friends to drool over. And she refuses. But Queen Vashti refused. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. So he says to his advisors, so this is a king really dependent on his advisors, he says, what should I do? 
And they say, banish her from the kingdom. So he banishes Queen Vashti. And then he says, now what should I do? And they're government officials, so they do what government officials do. They say, pass a law. So they pass a law. And here's the law. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master of his own household. Right? His own wife wouldn't obey him. We, we, don't, want, we don't want this to get around. She's banished, and he sends a letter to all the men to man up and be the man of the household. Okay? So this is the beginning of the book of Esther. Okay? So now he goes, all right, we're really moving along here, but I don't have a queen. Where are we going to get a queen? And he calls his advisors, and they go, hey, let's have a worldwide beauty contest. We'll fill your harem with beautiful young girls, and you get your pick of which one you want to be queen. Okay? Now, we are told in Esther chapter 2 that there's a young Jewish girl named Esther being raised by her uncle Morty, Mordecai. Okay. So apparently her parents had died in all this war and, and, and uh, you know, captivity, but Uncle Morty is taking care of Esther, and we are told the young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And Queen Vashti was lovely to look at, so you start to think, hmm, maybe the king's going to like her. Okay. Um, now, it says this, now when the turn came for each young woman to go into the king Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since there was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women. So it was um, a year-long spa treatment before you went in to meet the king. Okay. Now, here's what, here's what I want to do. I want to have us look at this young lady, Esther, and see if we can learn uh, three qualities to imitate. Not, not just ladies, okay, but all of us, because this is quite a young lady. All right. They all begin with the same letter, amazingly. Letter C. First, we learn from her that she uh, exhibits contentment. Now, when, when I say Esther exercised contentment, don't hear me say that she or that we should be fine with the horribly unjust situation she finds herself in. Okay? And, and don't, don't think that God approves of harems where women are basically enslaved. Okay? So when I say she exhibits contentment, I don't mean with the situation. I mean with the God who is sovereign over everything. Okay? 
There, you may be in a horrible situation at work or in your family. But can you find some contentment in God that he is allowing this, maybe for a reason, and you are there for such a time as this? Interesting New Testament parallel. In the Corinthian church, the Corinthians uh, were very discontent. And uh, those who were married, especially to unbelievers, were saying, I should get divorced. And those who were single were saying, it's more spiritual to be married. They were discontent. And then he addresses slaves. Some people were saying it's more godly to be a slave, and others were saying it's more godly to be a free person. And then Paul says, here's my rule. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. See, there's sovereignty behind this. And to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. In other words, stop being so discontent with your situation in life and embrace the situation that has been assigned to you. Now what about slaves? Verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. You, were you a bondservant, a slave, when you were called? He says, do not be concerned about it. <laughs> if you're a slave, don't, don't fret about it. You mean I have to remain a slave the rest of my life? What if I can gain my freedom? And then this, the parentheses here are actually, this is in the text, okay? Not the parentheses, but the words. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. He, he almost places freedom from slavery way below be content. Ah, if, you can get, if you can get a promotion at work, great. If you can get out of slavery, great. If you can get out of a bad situation, great. But you should be focused on the sovereignty of God in your situation. Okay? And again, he concludes verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. So, if we trust that God is ultimately in control, we can spend our time first discovering and then executing his mission for us rather than spending all our time complaining. Okay? You know, if, if you were to look at the average American's goal in life, it's advancement, and comfort. Right? Advancement and comfort. And a lot of people's view of God, it's his job to help me advance and be more comfortable. It's pretty darn close to the prosperity gospel. Okay? A believer's goal in life should be the advancement of the kingdom of God first. And God's job is he's the sovereign ruler over everything. And we should embrace our assignment.
Okay? So, little application question. Would you characterize yourself with the word content or discontent? Or would the people who know you, how would they label you? Content or discontent? So Esther says, this isn't the greatest place to be, but I find myself here. And, and what happens? And when Esther was taken to king as a Harris into his royal palace, The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. You know, I I always think of um, Richard Wormbrand, who was um, a pastor in Romania, and World War II was happening, and he got, you've got the Nazis on one side, and then you've got the Russians on the other. And communism was taking over Romania, and the pastors either gave in or were thrown in prison. And he was thrown in prison for 17 years and tortured. A little book called Tortured for Christ. And he said, well, I guess God has changed my congregation And now I am to try to reach the people here in prison. They're my sheep. Um, I will pastor and try to reach them. He just said, God's God's in charge of the situation. I'll embrace it and take it. Now, I'm not saying that's easy. But again, question. Do I spend an inordinate amount of time being discontent with the situation God has placed me in. Okay? Esther, lesson one, content with the sovereignty of God. Now, second thing, she displays great courage. Now, to make this long story short, here's what happens. One of the king's advisors, advisors is this wicked guy named Haman. Okay? He, what, I, I've, I've read Esther a million times, and... This time it really stood out what a psychopath this guy is. He made everybody, as he walked down the street, bow down before him. There was one guy who refused. And it just happens to be Uncle Morty. Mordecai, uh, Esther's uncle. So, here, he... He's so egomaniacal that when one guy won't bow before him, he becomes enraged and he writes up a decree that all the Jews, because he knew Mordecai was a Jew, that all the Jews in the kingdom would be slaughtered on a certain day. And then he has to somehow trick the king into signing it, so he probably says, oh, hey, king, hey. You know, here's our, our pile of things you need to sign today. And the king just signs it. So now the Jews are going to come under attack and be slaughtered. Now, word gets to Mordecai that this is going to happen on a certain day. So he sends a message 
to Esther, who is now the queen. Right? What does he say? Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent, at this time relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, maybe God has you in this horrible situation not to complain, not for the spa treatments, but to prevent the Holocaust. Okay. Now, interesting thing about the book of Esther. This is one of these Bible stories um, where God doesn't speak directly. In fact, do you know that God is not even mentioned in the book of Esther? Okay? When, there, there's debate, you know, when, when you form the canon of Scripture, um, some lists of books, they didn't even include Esther. Why? Because God's not mentioned. He's clearly here, though. Right? Now, in the book of Esther, um, he doesn't directly speak, like to Gideon. You know, he says, hey, mighty warrior, you're going to deliver Israel. Or, or Moses, you are going to set my people free. Here, God does not speak audibly, but he speaks through providence. Providence is when you look at your life situation and you see the hand of God in it. Okay? So, um, some of us just kind of need to open our eyes. So, some of you know that Elizabeth and I are going to get on an airplane today, and we're going to go to Scotland, um, and we'll be with 30 college students, okay? So, we get to play parents to 30 college students in a foreign country where they don't speak English. Well, not, not English you can understand, by the way. Um, so, let's say we're sitting on the plane, and I'm... Uh, working on my Bible study, which I usually do, and somebody next to me leans over and says, hey, is that a Bible? Yeah. Tell me about it. Now, do I need to go into some long prayer? Lord, do you want me to speak to this person? I don't know your wit. Make disciples of all nations. Through providence, God has made it clear that I should talk to this person. Okay? Through providence, Mordecai at least raises the issue. Maybe God has arranged this whole thing. You happen, the Jews are going to be slaughtered. You happen to have access to the king. You're the only one who has access to the king. Providence. Okay. Now, while she's the queen, he's still the king. And nobody, including the queen could directly access the king. If you entered without permission, he could have you killed. All right? So here's what she does. She tells Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa 
and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. I'm going to approach the king because it seems like this is the right thing to do. You guys pray, pray and fast, okay? And even though it's against the law, I'm going to do this. And I, I realize I may die. Okay. Now, you go, wait a minute. Aren't point one and two kind of in conflict? Be content versus take action and have courage. No. Contentment is not laziness. Laziness says, I am just going to play it safe. I will take the, 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 least, the path of least resistance and just play it safe. Contentment says, I will accept my mission and I am willing to risk it all, to leverage everything for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Right. So, question for the moms. How are you raising your kids? Play it safe, be comfortable, safe suburbanites. Or risk your lives for the sake of the kingdom. You say, well, how do I teach them that? Well, yeah, you teach them the Bible and you, do, you, you, you teach them verbally, but really, through example. As they look at your life, do they see you playing it safe? Or do they see you risking your comfort, risking your status, risking your money, maybe even risking your life because of your love for Jesus. Okay. Our example speaks very loudly. All right, so um, Esther shows courage. She is going to go to the king. Okay. Now, last thing. Confidence. All right. I, I want you to notice that when, when Mordecai um, proposes this to her, he says in verse 14, If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Notice the assumption is God's going God's to save the Jews. Do you want to be in on it or not? But there's no doubt that God is going to rescue the Jews. She knows, and he knows, that in the end, God wins. The question is, do I want to be in on the victory party? You know what? Jesus is going to win in the end of this whole thing. He will be King of kings and Lord of lords. We're to take the gospel to, to all nations. In Mill Creek, in Batavia, in Geneva, in St. Charles. Okay? Do you want to be in on the victory party or not? is the question. So here's, here's the rest of the story. Here's what happens. Esther approaches the king unannounced. 
She risks her life. And he likes her. So he extends his royal scepter and touches her, which means he spares her life. And um, he says, hey, what's, what's, what you doing? And she says, I would like to request your presence at a dinner that I'm going to prepare for you tomorrow night. He goes, I would love to go to dinner with you. Hot dog combo, they went to. No. So she prepares a dinner. Oh, and, and she says this. Oh, by the way, invite your right-hand man, Haman. He goes, okay. So puts it down on his, his Google calendar tomorrow night. Going to have, have dinner um, with Haman. Okay. So actually there's a first dinner, and they have a wonderful time, the three of them. And then she says, this was so fun. Could I do it again tomorrow night? And they're like, sure, we love this. And then here's what happens. Haman leaves dinner. And as he's walking down the street, everybody's bowing to him, except for one guy, Uncle Morty. He will not bow to Haman. And Haman becomes furious. And he goes home uh, to his friends and his lovely wife, Zeresh. And this is what he says to them. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the kingdom had honored him, or the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me Come with the king to the feast she prepared, and tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. I am really hot stuff. Just want to let you know, two nights in a row, just me, the king, and the queen. But is he a happy man? Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. <clears throat> The guy won't bow to me. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. So I did the whole conversion thing with the cubits, your cubits from your fingertip to your elbows, about 18 inches, just 75 foot high, hanging gallows is made. He goes, oh yeah, isn't she a nice wife? Right? Um, so he's happy now, but that night the king can't sleep. So what he does is he says, bring the minutes from the official business that went on and just read <laughs> so read business minutes okay and they're reading a bunch of stuff and he finds out in the past and he didn't even know about this there was a plot to take his life but a man exposed the plot and saved the king and this guy who exposed the plot guess what his name was mordecai uncle morty okay So, 
Here's what the king decides. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? <laughs> so he's thinking, Of course he wants to honor me, all right? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the, and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. So Haman himself comes up with this plan. And then Morty says, All right, who'd you have in mind? Go ahead, tell me. And the king says, Mordecai the Jew. Do, 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 do. And guess who has to lead Mordecai through the city streets? So Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city proclaiming before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. <laughs> now, the story could end here and it would be you know, a great, great story. But what about this decree to kill all the Jews? So, dinner time. Esther has prepared a nice dinner and they're all the three of them are sitting at dinner. And she says, King, there is a plot afoot to kill all my people. And the king says, who is behind this plot? She points to Haman. And the king says, arrest him and hang him on that 75-foot gallows. But one more little thing needs to be tidied up. When a king passed a decree, it couldn't be reversed. But another decree could be passed to kind of neutralize the first one. So the king passes a second decree, decree that when the Jews are attacked, they are allowed to arm themselves and defend themselves. So here's how the story ends. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's province, provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. And then what about Uncle Morty? Here's how his life ends. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to the king and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. So is this saying, obey God, take risks, and you'll, it'll all work out and you'll live happily ever after? Not necessarily. Even Esther knew she could die if I perish. I perish. But remember, even death, for a Christian, is living happily ever after. To live as Christ 
to die is gain. Right? So, as we look at this content, courageous, what was the third one? <laughs> content, confident in God, and courageous woman. May we glorify God with these qualities. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for Esther. Thank you that you love your people and you rescue your people and you use us to do such. I pray, Lord, you, you would make those of us who struggle with contentment to find contentment in you. May that contentment in you, Lord, produce a courage where we're willing to take risks and a confidence that you are in control. And thank you, Lord, that to die is gain. Again, we pray for the moms, the ladies. Pray you would put your hand of blessing upon them. Pour out your spirit. Lord, remind us that even, uh, even things done where nobody's looking can influence the world, can influence a family, can in influence a little one. Um, so Lord, I, I pray that we would be men and women of integrity. Thank you for Esther, in Jesus' name. Amen.